Matthew 24, beginning at verse 9 through verse 13. This is the words of our Lord. He says, Then they will hand you over for persecution, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and deceive many, because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. Today's lesson is going to be a continuation of our series through Matthew chapter 24, but I think it's going to be more than that, and this is why. As I went through Matthew 24, 9 through 13, and compared that with early Christian history in the book of Acts, it has been very weighty. And what I mean is that I have found that I don't know what persecution is. I have never been persecuted for my faith in the way that we're going to read that the early disciples of Christ were persecuted for their faith. Sure, I may have heard someone say something sarcastic about what I believe or maybe poke fun at a particular doctrine that I hold to, so forth and so on, but I've never experienced bodily persecution for belief in Yeshua as the Messiah. I've never been imprisoned for believing in Yeshua. I've never had my shirt removed and been whipped 39 times on my chest or on my back for belief in the Messiah. I've never been stoned to death or stoned and left for dead because of my belief in the Messiah. And to be quite honest, I don't know what I would do if I was faced with any of those situations. Now, it would be easy for me to say that I would stand firm if faced with those situations. That would be very easy for me to say today because I'm standing up here. I'm full. I ate a good lunch. It's a heated building. And so it's very easy for me to say that I would stand firm if I was faced with any of these situations. But I'm not going to say that because I've never been put in that situation. So what I'm going to say is that I hope if ever faced with this type of persecution that we're going to cover tonight, I hope that I would endure to the end of my life. I hope that my faith in my Savior is genuine, like the first century or like some of the first century disciples of Christ in their faith. So what we'll do is when we start off, we'll walk through verses 9 through 13, and then I'm going to show you where these things took place in the book of Acts. And I'm going to cover some in the parallel text. Remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke often record the same stories or same accounts with a little different flavor because they're different men. Matthew 24, parallel Mark 13, and Luke 21. We're going to cover some in those texts. Beginning in Matthew 24, verse 9, Yeshua tells his disciples that they would be handed over for persecution. He says, then they will hand you, notice the personal pronoun there, They will hand you over for persecution. He's been talking to his disciples this entire time. And it says, and be killed. Now this doesn't mean that every disciple that was persecuted was also killed. Some were persecuted and not killed. Some were persecuted and then killed. Luke 21 in the parallel passage makes this clear. Luke 21, 16, where Luke records Yeshua as saying, they will kill some of you. Remember again that Yeshua is talking to his disciples that were in front of him at that time. Those disciples asked him a personal question or a threefold question in Matthew 24 verse 3. I do realize that some of the believers in Christ have been persecuted in various places in the world and at various times in history for the last 2,000 years. But I don't think that's what Yeshua is talking about here in Matthew 24. I think he's referring to events leading up to and including the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in the first century. And he's telling his immediate personal disciples, those students that literally learned from him personally, what would happen to them. In verse 9, he also says that they would be hated by all nations because of his name. When you read the book of Acts, everywhere that the disciples of Yeshua went into all nations, people would hate them, not because they were criminals, not because they were hateful people. They would hate them for nothing more than their belief that Yeshua of Nazareth 
was the promised Messiah. Realize that the phrase all nations, you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. The phrase all nations is not speaking of every nation known to man today, but all nations in that area of the world, the known world at that time. All nations means all nations into which the disciples may find themselves as a witness for Christ. Everywhere they would go, they would be hated simply because they believed in Yeshua the Messiah. Matthew 24, verse 10, Yeshua mentions that this persecution would trigger offenses. Some will take offense. That's what my translation says. Some Bibles say some will stumble. That might be a better way to translate this Greek word, scandalizo. What it refers to is not being offended like hurting your feelings, but it refers to being offended like falling into sin. Many will take offense means many will fall away from the faith. There would be hatred and there would be betrayal. When disciples of Christ were put to the test, when the pressure got severe, people would begin to break apart. Luke 21.16, parallel to Matthew 24.10, Luke records Yeshua as saying that the disciples would be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. Don't forget that Yeshua had already mentioned something like this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, when he first sent out his 12 disciples. And then by extension, the disciples of Christ that would come thereafter in the first century and even today. Don't think that just because the principal application of Matthew 24 is in the first century that there's no way, don't think that there's no way that we can apply it to our life now. All of Scripture can be applied by principle in some way to you now. That doesn't necessarily mean it was specifically written or spoken to you personally. So we're dealing with what was taking place in context here. But he told his 12 disciples in Matthew 10 that your enemies would be they of your own household. He quoted a passage, I believe, out of the book of the prophet Micah. And he goes on to say in Matthew 10, he says that if you gain your life, talking about in the physical life, if you fall away from the faith and you gain your physical life, you'll lose it. Talking about you'll lose it eternally. But if you lose your life, speaking lose your physical life, what's he talking about? Lose it for me. Lose it because you believe in me. Not lose it because you committed a crime or lose it because you're worthy of death, but simply you lose it because you stood firm for me. Then you will find your life, meaning find it eternally, right? And then he has a phrase there in Matthew 10 that he says, If any man does not deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, he's not worthy of me. And we speak of the taking up of the cross for disciples today. And I'm not saying that we can't make an application today in principle. But originally, we understand first century words and sayings in their first century context. Originally, what Yeshua meant to take up their cross meant that they would suffer and be persecuted and even die for him. Just like he had to go to the cross and die, suffer and die, they would take up their cross when faced with persecution and death for belief in the Messiah. And if they're not willing to take up their cross and suffer, they're not worthy of Yeshua the Messiah. And so any type of suffering, here's the principal application for our day, any type of suffering that we have to do for our faith, we are partakers with the sufferings of the Messiah. The Apostle Paul actually writes that in one of his epistles. In some sense, in one small sense, We are like Christ when we suffer for our faith. So when we suffer for our faith, our first inclination should not be remove this from me. It should be thank you, Yahweh, that you are allowing me to suffer like my Lord suffered, that I can be a partaker in His sufferings. Suffering is a biblical thing. And so rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Luke records Yeshua as saying that when they persecute you and speak all evil against you falsely for my sake, leap for joy. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This is what Yeshua is talking about. The disciples, his personal disciples, would face there because nothing more than their belief in him, their faith in him. Some people would stand firm through persecution. Others would cave in and they would have hatred towards their own family that stood firm. In Matthew 24, verse 11, Yeshua mentions many false prophets would rise up and deceive many. We covered this last week. 
in verses 4 through 5 and also Matthew 24, 24. False prophets and false anointed ones, when you read false Christs, don't think that the false prophets that came had to claim to be the Christ. The word Christ just means anointed. The false prophets that came would claim that they were anointed. It doesn't mean that they had to claim. I'm not saying some of them didn't. But it doesn't mean that they had to claim, I am the promised Messiah. They just was claiming, I am anointed. I'm anointed from the Heavenly Father. There would be false ones that would come. They would be able to show great signs and wonders. We covered Simon Magus and Elamus last week in the book of Acts. The Apostle John wrote that many antichrists were on the scene then. He said, this is how we know that it is the last hour. John is talking about right then when he wrote. People hear the word Antichrist and they think of one man, future. John said Antichrists, plural, are here now and it is for this that we know it's the last hour. And then the next verse, 1 John 2, 18, that's verse 18, the next verse in verse 19, he says they went out from us because they were not of us. Talking to a, the first century church. They went out from us, people I'm writing to. Why? Because they were not of us. Had they truly been of us, they would have continued with us. But since they went out, it was made manifest, they were not truly of us. 1 John 2, 18-19. Matthew 24, verse 12. Yeshua speaks of lawlessness, multiplying, and love growing cold. This again is a reference to lawlessness in that day and time. That doesn't mean there's not lawlessness in this day and time. There is. That doesn't mean love is not growing cold in this day and time. It is. But that's not what Yeshua is talking about. He's talking to his personal disciples at that time saying lawlessness will multiply and love, love, what does he mean love? Between the members of the family. It will grow cold because of the separation of the wheat from the chaff, the genuine from the false. Those who will remain true to Yeshua the Messiah and those who will cave in and go after the way of lawlessness. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 7, writing to that church then, he said this, the mystery of iniquity or lawlessness is already at work when he wrote that epistle. That's what Yeshua is prophesying about here. It is very easy to profess Yeshua as Lord and Savior and Messiah when there's no persecution. And I don't believe that's what like when the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Master, believe in your heart that Yahweh raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's not just talking about me standing up here and confessing it now. Apostle Paul is writing to people that are suffering severe persecution who would have to make that confession with a sword to their side or a knife to their throat. Do you confess that Yeshua is Master? Do you confess that He's the Messiah? That's a whole different ballgame with a knife to your throat or a sword to your side. That's a whole different ballgame. That confession goes from here all the way up to here. That's what he's talking about, making that confession. It's not just everybody that snaps off Jesus as Lord in 2016. It's those that are genuine and they say, yes, I believe. And it doesn't matter what you'll do to me in this body, in this life, because I seek a heavenly kingdom. I seek an eternal life. That's what our Lord is talking about here. Some of them in that day would endure to the end. Matthew 24, 13. He that endureth to the end shall be delivered. But others would not. Others would cave in. They would save their physical life, but they would help multiply lawlessness. And love towards family members would grow cold because of the separation of the true believers from those who were just professors. Now I think in Matthew 24, 13 that it's best to understand Yeshua as speaking of the end of an individual believer's life. In other words, all this persecution is going to go on, but if you endure to the end, and if you don't give in, and if you remain true to me, and if you suffer like I suffered, and if you even have to die for me like I died, you will be delivered. Now, I get that just from the context of Matthew 24, but I want to turn to Luke 21. I said we would turn to a couple of these passages. Luke chapter 21, verses 16 through 19, which is our parallel passage. Once again, just for sake of clarification, or maybe if you've forgotten or wasn't here when I mentioned this, in Luke 21, we have the exact same account as Matthew 24, but it's just recorded by Brother Luke instead of Brother Matthew. 
So in Luke 21, 16 through 19, we're going to read about this persecution. I'll tell you what, let's start at verse 12. Let's get the whole gist. Luke 21, verse 12. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to an opportunity for you to witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time. For I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. 16, here's the key. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. This Verse 18 and 19, meditate on this. But not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your life. I want you to notice the persecution that Yeshua mentions as recorded by Luke. Hatred, betrayal, and then it leads to death for some of them. But then he tells them, but not a hair of your head will be lost. What does that mean? Obviously, they're going to be killed. He said they will kill some of you, but not a hair of your head will be lost. That only makes sense if he is speaking of eternal life. What Yeshua is saying, think about this. He's talking to his disciples that will be persecuted and some killed, so they would perish. That means the phrase, not a hair of your head will be lost, means when you go through persecution for Christ, for the Messiah, and you have to die for him, Yahweh will not forget one single hair of your head. You will gain, by your endurance, you will gain your life. King James Version says, In your patience possess ye your souls. Probably not the best way to translate that from the Greek. Patience is better rendered in English as endurance. It's the same Greek word as Matthew 24, 13, He that endures to the end. And then possess is talking about you gain something. What he's saying is through your endurance to the end, you will gain your lives. Physical lives? No. No, eternal life. Eternal life. Yahweh will remember every hair on your head. Whew, that's beautiful. It's great right there. This goes along with Matthew 10, 39. I mentioned this earlier, where Christ says, anyone finding his life will lose it. Anyone losing his life because of me will find it. We also learn as we turn to Mark 13, another parallel passage. Once again, Mark 13 is... Same thing as Matthew 24, just recorded by another author. Mark 13, verses 9 through 11. Mark 13, 9 through 11 says this, But you, speaking to his disciples, be on your guard. They will hand you over to Sanhedrins, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. Notice these are first century terms. The Sanhedrins was the first century council of the full senate of the sons of Israel. That's what it was. Patterned after the 70 elders under Moses. There was originally 70 members, and sometimes 71 or 72 members, of the, the senate of the sons of Israel, the council, the governmental council there in the first century. And synagogues is, is again a reference to the first century. They'll hand you over, my disciples, to the Sanhedrins, and they will flog you in their synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me, so when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say. On the contrary, whatever is given to you in that hour, say it, for it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit that speaks through you. You can see a parallel to this in Matthew 10, 16 through 22. When the disciples would be brought before kings and governors, when they would be in front of the Sanhedrin, or when they were about to be flogged by the synagogue, the Spirit would take over their tongue and speak through them so they didn't have to worry about rehearsing and going through something like I do for my sermon. I have to rehearse and I have to study and I have to go through it. That's not how it would work for the disciples here. Yahweh would speak through them. They would be given what to say at that time. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Beautiful. Now, as I've alluded to, you can find fulfillment of all these things that Yeshua the Messiah prophesied about when you read the book of Acts and some of the epistles in the New Testament. And this is the best way to interpret the Bible, to let the Bible interpret the Bible, not to throw in our own stuff, 
but to allow one passage to interpret another passage and they start dovetailing together. And I promise you, I promise you, the more you study the Bible and the more that the pieces of, of Scripture start doing like this, coming together like a puzzle, the more in love you will fall with Yahweh and with His Son and with His book. Because it will begin to make sense to you and you'll read it and it won't be just like, okay, I've got to do my Bible reading. Let me open up to my, the, my marker. It will be more than that. It will be, oh man, it's, I, you know, I can't wait to get home. I studied a little bit this morning, but I've got to look something back up because it will start jumping up off the pages at you. So, let's look at the book of Acts. Let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Just to give you a little bit of background as we're turning there. I have been in Acts chapters 1 through 7 for a long time. I started reading the book of Acts, and I can't get past chapter 7. Every time I get to 7, I want to start back over. So I go back to chapter 1, and I read it again. And, and I mean just making notes, and it gets more and more beautiful to me. And we're going to talk about some of these things. In Acts chapter 3, what we have recorded in Acts, actually Acts 2 and Acts 3, is the first two salvation sermons from the Apostle Peter. And any salvation sermon that is taught today should sound like Peter's sermons in Acts 2 and Acts 3. Most of them do not, though. Most of them do not. I'm writing a study on that currently. But they should. They should sound like Peter's sermons in Acts 2 and Acts 3. Um, it's very clear in here in Acts 3, in his second salvation sermon, it's very clear that he's preaching to the men of Israel. Acts 3, verse 12 uh, Peter addresses the people and he says, men of Israel. So it's clear he's teaching to the men of Israel here. Um, it's clear that he tells the men of Israel in verses 14 through 15, you denied the righteous one. The righteous one is Yeshua. You denied the righteous one and you killed the prince of life whom the Almighty raised from the dead. He tells these men of Israel and they're, they're rebellious. They're rebellious Israelites. He tells them in verse 19, repent that your sins may be blotted out. So he wants them to repent. And then in verse 26, he tells them that Yahweh sent Yeshua to them to turn each of you, this is a quote in verse 26, to turn each of you from your evil ways. So Peter's message is teaching to the men of Israel that they would turn from their evil ways and specifically the evil way he's talking about is they denied the prophet that was sent like Moses. Peter actually quotes Deuteronomy 18. Uh, right around verses 18 through 19 in Acts chapter 3. And he says, Yahweh said, a prophet like Moses, he would raise up and send to you from among your brothers. He's here. He showed up. He went to heaven. He ascended. He took his seat at the right hand of the Father. And you haven't recognized him for who he is. This whole thing is to the men of Israel. He's saying, you've got to turn, repent from your evil ways. Now, in Acts 4, 1 through 5, it says this. Now, as they were speaking to the people the priests, the commander of the temple guard, and the Sadducees confronted them. Confronted who? Peter and John specifically, or the, the, the whole disciples. Everybody that was a follower of the Messiah that was talking about the Messiah. They confronted these disciples. Notice here how they are brought before leaders in high positions. Yeshua said this in Matthew 24. They'd be brought before kings, governors, Sanhedrin, synagogues. You know who the Sanhedrin was made up of? Chief priests, high priests, elders of the people. So they're brought before these, these people in verse 1. Verse 2, because they were provoked, these high officials were provoked, that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in the person of Yeshua the resurrection from the dead. I never realized this, and I think the more we mature and just the older in the faith that we get, we see more when we read the Bible. You know, because we read it over and over and over. One of the main messages in the salvation sermon that Peter preached is the resurrection of Yeshua from the dead. That's one of the main elements that Yahweh, God the Father, raised the Son of God from the dead to immortality. He mentions it. Read Acts chapter 2 and Acts 3. It's a big thing right in there. Verse 3, So they seized them and put them in custody until the next day since it was already evening. Here, the disciples are imprisoned just like Yeshua said they would be. They would flog you. They would put you into prison, just like he had prophesied about Matthew 24. Verse 4, But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. 
Some of the Israelites listening to Peter preach repented and believed in Yeshua the Messiah. The number 5,000 is to be read in conjunction with the number 3,000 in Acts 2.41 where it says 3,000 souls were saved. There was 2,000 added to that and that's why Acts 4 verse 4 mentions now there's 5,000 in number. So praise Yahweh. Some of these Israelites are repenting and turning to the Messiah that had came. Verse 5. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. Here again we see an assembly formed of men in high positions. Remember, Yeshua told his disciples, you'll be brought before Sanhedrins, governors, and kings. This is happening right here in Acts chapter 4. Now, after this, and I want to encourage you to read, you really need to read Acts chapter 2 all the way through the end of Acts chapter 9, really. And so I'm not going to read every verse in Acts 2 through 9, but I want to encourage you to do that in your Bible study time. After what we just covered in verse 5, Acts 4 verse 5, Peter then preaches in front of these high leaders, and he does exactly what Yeshua told his disciples they would do when he was brought in front of leaders. He hadn't rehearsed, he hadn't premeditated, he was brought in front of the leaders, and the Spirit began to speak through them. And he spoke the same lesson or sermon that he spoke in Acts 2, in Acts 3, he spoke the same one in Acts 4. So, in Acts 4, 13 through 18, the Sanhedrin instructs them to stop preaching. They said, you've got to stop preaching. You can't be talking about this anymore. Peter says, sorry, we have to continue to preach. Well, the leaders are afraid of the crowds, so they let them go. They, they release them. All right. Later on in Acts chapter 5, we see that the apostles are arrested again and put in prison. Again, for nothing more than preaching about Yeshua, the Son of Yahweh. We see from Acts 5, 17 through 21, this is very encouraging, that while they were in prison, the angel of Yahweh, this is talking about an angelic being, the angel of Yahweh opened the doors of the jail up during the night, brought the disciples out of the prison, and then told the disciples, go stand in the temple and tell the people about this life. Acts 5, verse 21 is where we'll pick it up. Acts 5, 21. In obedience to this, to the angel, they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. Now I want you to notice, the apostles are about to be brought, they were supposed to be brought at daybreak, but remember, they're at the temple preaching the gospel. They're supposed to be brought before the Sanhedrin, the full synod of the sons of Israel, but they're about to be brought a little bit later, and they're going to give a witness for the Messiah, just like was prophesied about. Verse 22, But when the temple police got there, they did not find him in the jail. So they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priest heard these things, they were baffled at, about them as to what could come of this. And someone came and reported, so this other guy comes running into the Senate of the Sanhedrin, and he says, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple complex, and they're teaching the people. Then the captain, verse 26, went with the temple police and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. When they had brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? This order was given back in Acts 4, 13 through 18. It, and it's exactly what Yeshua said would happen when he prophesied about it in Matthew chapter 24. You'll be brought in front of the Sanhedrin. The end of verse 28. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to bring this man's blood on us. This man's blood is the blood of Christ. You're determined to bring the man's blood on us. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey the Almighty, we must obey God rather than man. Now the obedience here. A lot of people I think take this verse out of context. And they do all kind of things and say, well we've got to obey God rather than man. What this verse is talking about, the obedience here is preaching about Yeshua. That's what the obedience is. 
They ordered them, don't preach about the Messiah. And they say, no, we, we, we can't. We can't obey you over the Almighty. We've got to continue to preach about the Savior. Verse 30, he preaches a very short, or at least it's recorded by Luke here in Acts as a short sermon. Verse 30, he says, The mighty one of our fathers, remember who he's talking to, the Sanhedrin, the full senate of the sons of Israel. That's why he uses the, the uh, collective pronoun our. Him and everybody he's talking to. The mighty one of our fathers raised up Yeshua, whom you, the rebellious Israelites, had murdered by hanging him on a tree. The mighty one exalted this man, this man here is Yeshua, and that's the words of Peter, not Matthew. The mighty one exalted this man, speaking of Yeshua, to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel. Why did there need to be grant, uh, granted repentance to Israel? Because they had denied the Messiah. They were rebellious. Granted repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Verse 32, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom the Almighty has given to those who obey Him. And the obedience here is really talking about <clears throat> obedience to the gospel message. It's not, obedience here is not talking about obedience to the law, but it's talking about obedience to the gospel. Repentance, confession, baptism, faith in Christ. That's what this obedience is talking to. You can compare that with Acts 6 verse 7 where it says a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe the gift of the Holy Spirit is salvation in Acts 2, verse 38. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Remember what Yeshua told them in the Olivet Discourse, that they would be persecuted, handed over to synagogues, Sanhedrins, flogged, and some of them would be killed. Now, Look at Acts 5, same chapter, a little bit further down. Acts 5, verses 40 through 42. After they called in the apostles and had them flogged. Flogged. For believing in the Messiah. Believing that Yeshua of Nazareth, the man from Galilee, was the promised Messiah, the anointed one of Yahweh, Yahweh's son. That's why they were flogged. That's never happened to me. Never May not ever happen to me. May not. This is the persecution that Yeshua prophesied about. After they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Yeshua and release them. Verse 41. Then they went out, then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of his name. And we get upset if we hear so-and-so said a harsh word about what we believe. They receive the suffering. Not a head of your hair will be lost, he told them. By your endurance, gain your lives. When they suffered, they saw it. They're partaking in the cross of Christ. They went away rejoicing that they'd been dishonored. Verse 42, Every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that the Messiah, the Anointed One, is Yeshua. This is all fulfillment of what Yeshua prophesied about during the Olivet Discourse. What He told them would happen to them was happening to them. Persecution brought before Sanhedrins, imprisonment, flogging, and as we read further, death. Look at Acts 6, verses 8 through 15. Acts 6, verse 8, speaks of Stephen. Stephen is one of the many disciples of Yeshua, according to Acts 6, verse 1. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some from what is called the Freedmen Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, came forward and disputed with Stephen. Here we have men from the synagogue disputing with Stephen. Think back to Mark 13, 9 and Luke 21, 12 where Yeshua talks about they'll do this in the synagogues. Verse 10, But they were unable to stand up against the wisdom and the Spirit by whom He spoke. What does that remind you of? For it is not you that speaketh, but the Spirit that speaketh through you. This is being fulfilled right here in Acts 6, verse 10. That's why they were not able to stand up against Stephen. It wasn't because Stephen was so wise. 
It was because of the Spirit in Stephen. It's like my granddaddy always said, it's not I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Verse 11. Then they induced men to say, induced means persuaded, it's something sneaky here, they're trying to get something against Stephen. They induced men to say, we heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and the Mighty One. And of course that's a false accusation. Stephen's not speaking blasphemy against Yahweh and Yeshua. He's not speaking that. Verse 12, they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, so they came up, they dragged him off and took him to the Sanhedrin. You'll be brought before the Sanhedrins. Yeshua prophesied. Verse 13, they also presented false witnesses. There's an explanation of verse 11. These are false witnesses who said, this man does not stop speaking blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that Yeshua of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Now, let me make a point right here. While these were false witnesses in verse 13, it is likely that what they were doing was putting a slant on Stephen's message and accusing what he said to be blasphemy. Because there is no doubt that Yeshua himself had prophesied about the destruction of the temple. Matthew 23, 36, Matthew 24, 1 through 2, and Luke 19, 43 through 44. Remember, he said, not one stone will be left upon another that will not be thrown down or torn down. With the destruction of the temple, it would bring an end to some things related to the temple. That was not blasphemy to speak that because the reason for the temple's destruction was because of the lawlessness or the rebellion that was going on in the house of Judah. That was the reason the temple was going to be destroyed by the sovereign power of Yahweh. Just like Yahweh used Nebuchadnezzar to come in and ransack the temple that Solomon built back in the Old Testament. It was done because of sin. Verse 15, Acts 6, 15. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him. And talking about looked at Stephen. And saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, the entire seventh chapter, I'm not going to read it, but the entire seventh chapter is Stephen's witness in front of the Sanhedrin that I don't believe he rehearsed. I believe the Spirit spoke through him in the entire seventh chapter of the book of Acts. And he addresses these men in verse 2, Acts 7, verse 2. He says, Brothers and fathers, the Mighty One of Glory appeared to our father Abraham. So he's here giving a witness for the Messiah in front of his brothers and fathers, men of Israel. And Stephen speaks about the history of the Israelites beginning with Abraham going all the way down to Solomon. And then he ends his teaching with hard words to the rebellious Israelite brothers and fathers he was speaking to. Acts seven fifty one through 60. He says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts. If you know the Old Testament, uncircumcised hearts is a theme where Yahweh, through His prophets, would continuously rebuke His people Israel and say, You are uncircumcised in your heart. And that's all Stephen is doing. He's echoing Yahweh. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your forefathers did. Rebellious Israelites in the Old Covenant resisted the Holy Spirit. Rebellious Israelites here in the book of Acts are resisting the Holy Spirit. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? That, Acts 7.52, aligns perfectly with Yeshua's teaching in Matthew chapter 23 because it was always rebellious Israelites that persecuted their own prophets and killed their own prophets. And I gave... Verse after verse after verse of proof of that when I talk through Matthew chapter 23. So you can go back and look at those lessons. Listen to those lessons. Verse 52, they even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Here again we see it was rebellious children of Israel that betrayed and murdered Yeshua. Verse 53, this is the clincher right here. Verse 53, Stephen says, you received the law. That's absolute, positive, beyond a shadow of a doubt proof that the stiff-necked men he's talking to are Israelite men because they're the only ones that Yahweh specifically gave the law to. You receive the law under the direction of angels, but here it is, and yet have not kept it. They're rebellious. They're rebellious. Verse 54, When they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts 
and they gnashed their teeth at him. They were angry because they knew they were guilty, but they did not want to admit their guilt. Verse 55, But Stephen, filled by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw Yahweh's glory with Yeshua standing at the right hand of Yahweh. And this, I don't have this in my notes, but this is the only time that I can remember in the New Testament where it speaks of Yeshua standing at the right hand of Yahweh. Most of the time it says he sits at the right hand of Yahweh. Now, I could only speculate why he stands, maybe in honor of Stephen. He had told him, every hair of your head will be remembered. By your endurance, you'll gain your lives. Possibly he stands in honor of what Stephen's about to do for him. And then he said, verse 56, Stephen said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Almighty. And that's a reference, brothers and sisters, to Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man comes up to the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is Yahweh, the Son of Man is Yeshua, and the Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man power, authority, and a kingdom. Sets him at the right hand. Verse 57, Then they screamed at the top of their voices, stopped their ears and rushed together against him, and they threw him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's the Saul who would be later converted to the faith. He was also called by the Roman name Paul. That's the Apostle Paul who we call him. Verse 59, They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Yeshua, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. Notice Stephen's humility here. He never gets angry. He never gets upset. He wants the men he's preaching to, even though he preaches hard, he wants them to repent. That's his goal. And in verse 60, he says this prayer, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. They're throwing rocks at him. And saying this, he fell asleep. Fell asleep there means he died. They killed him. That was the first martyr that lost his life for the Messiah. Luke 21, 16, Yeshua says, You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will kill some of you. Stephen was the first one to be killed. Just after this, we read in Acts 8, 1 through 3, that Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria, but devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Why? Because they loved him. He was their brother. They mourned over him when he died. Verse 3, Saul, however, was ravaging the church and he would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. All of this persecution in the book of Acts is exactly what Yeshua prophesied about in Matthew 24, verses 9 through 13. And Stephen is a prime example of a brother in the Messiah that endured to the end, and rest assured, he will be delivered. He will have eternal life. Not one hair of Stephen's head will be forgotten. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the passages that I have here, but I want to just give them to you to read on your own. One of the most fascinating things, as I close out, one of the most fascinating things about the stoning of Stephen is that the man mentioned twice in this context, Saul, was one of the rebellious Israelites who was converted he was converted to believe in the Messiah. He repented and believed in Yeshua of Nazareth. And after he became a disciple of Yeshua, beginning in Acts 9, and the Bible says in Acts 9 that once he left Ananias' place, and you need to read it in Acts 9, immediately he preached in the synagogues that Yeshua is the Son of Yahweh. Immediately. There was a true conversion there. Saul didn't come to an altar. Saul didn't repeat words. Saul didn't do any of that. Saul was not even looking for the Messiah. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute believers in the Messiah. And the Messiah found Saul. Not the other way around. Saul didn't find the Messiah. The Messiah found Saul. That's something, isn't it? In Acts chapter 9, at the end, unbelieving Judahites tried to kill Saul. They didn't get away with it. In Acts 14, you can write these down and read them in your study time. Unbelievers attempted to stone him, but he got away 
And then later at the end of Acts 14, he was stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. But by the power of Yahweh, he got up and traveled to another place to preach the gospel. In Acts 16, he and his fellow brother Silas were beaten with rods and put in prison. And in 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul writes of some of these occurrences. He says this in 2 Corinthians 11, Five times I received 39 lashes upon my back from the unbelieving Judahite leaders. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I faced dangers from my own people and dangers from the heathens. He was brought before kings and governors as well. Saul of Tarsus was, or Paul. And he gave a witness about Yeshua. In Acts 23, he was brought before the Sanhedrin. He witnessed about Christ. In Acts 23, he was brought before Felix. He witnessed about Christ. And in Acts 24, he was brought before Festus, governor. And he witnessed about Christ. The Apostle John also experienced tribulation in the first century because John wrote in Revelation 1 verse 9 to his first century audience, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation, kingdom and perseverance in Yeshua was on the island called Patmos because of Yahweh's word and the testimony about Yeshua. Revelation 1 verse 9 says that John in that day was a partner with his brothers in tribulation. Believers in Yeshua were also persecuted by heathen authorities, non-Israelite authorities. One of such was named Nero, Caesar Nero, a Roman ruler that ruled Rome for about 14 years and during the last three and one-half years of his reign. From 64 A.D. to 68 A.D., Nero brought severe persecution upon the Christians. There's a man by the name of Philip Schaff that wrote in the 1800s something called History of the Christian Church. It's several volumes. He writes in volume 1, chapter 6, about Nero's persecution of the Christians. Listen to this as I read. A vast multitude of Christians were put to death in the most shocking manner. Some were crucified, probably in mockery of the punishment of Christ. Some sewed up in the skins of wild beasts and exposed to the veracity of mad dogs in the arena. The satanic tragedy reached its climax at night in the imperial gardens on the slope of the Vatican. Christian men and women covered with pitch or oil in resin and nailed to posts of pine were lighted and burned as torches for the amusement of the mob. While Nero in fantastical dress figured in a horse race and displayed his art as a charioteer, burning alive was the ordinary punishment of incendiaries. But only the cruel ingenuity of this imperial monster under the inspiration of the devil could invent such a horrible system of illumination. So we've seen persecution. We've seen flogging. We've seen stoning. We've seen imprisonment. We've seen beating with rods. And now here we see Nero so Christian men and women up in wild beast skins and then have dogs come and eat them alive. Nailed to posts and lighted after being doused in pitch and in resin, and lighted for lights at night for the amusement there in the arena. This all happened in the first century. Exactly what Yeshua said would take place, took place. And there was great tribulation. As Yeshua said in Matthew twenty four thirty four, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And we've seen tonight that what He spoke of in verses 9 through 13 did indeed take place in that generation. And as I, as I close, this is my second closing, which is the real one. Let me, say, let me say this. Studying for this lesson has been quite sobering for me. And I got a little excited and I get emotional about the, the Scriptures because I love them. It's, it's, it's the biggest part of my life. I don't know what I would do if I didn't live for Yahweh and study the Bible. I don't know what I would do. Studying for this lesson has been sobering. What I mean is this. I have never had to go through anything even close to what these men went through for the Messiah. Their only quote-unquote crime here, the only thing that they did to cause such havoc upon them was to believe that Yeshua was the promised Messiah. That was it. They weren't zealots. They weren't trying to overthrow the government. They were not even fighting back. They would just proclaim their faith in Christ 
that Yahweh had sent the promised Messiah prophesied about in the Old Covenant. He had came. And we believe that He came. And that He's King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. And Yahweh raised Him from the dead after He was put to death on the cross. And they stopped their ears and gnashed with their teeth and said, No, no, you're trying to bring this man's blood on us. Severe persecution, dishonored for their belief in the Messiah. But they, they counted themselves worthy to be dishonored for the Messiah. Worthy. It's very, very simple for us tonight to confess that we believe. But when severe persecution like this breaks out, then you really find out who believes. Who believes? In Yahweh's providence, we live in an area and a time in history today where it's not a crime to believe in Yeshua as the Messiah. Praise be to the Father. We can sit here and and have an assembly without any fear of being criminals for this congregation. But what if we didn't? Or what if one day we come to a place where we have to be persecuted for our faith? I'm just not talking about somebody speaking harshly about us. That's one way of persecution. That's verbal persecution. Yeshua said they would say all manner of evil against you falsely. Okay, that's one method. That's a lot easier to go through than flogging, stonings, beatings with rods, and being stoned. I can only hope that that I will endure to the end. I can hope that I will. And I can hope that I'll believe that the resurrection is real. And that my last breath on this earth, my next conscious moment will be in the kingdom of heaven. Just like that. May Yahweh grant that we all meditate on these matters and draw closer to Him, our Heavenly Father and His only begotten Son. May Yahweh grant that for our lives. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You, I praise You, I love You. Hallowed be your name, Yahweh. Father, thank you for the scriptures that we went through. Thank you for the opportunity to go through them. I pray that the people here would not so much remember my words, but remember the verses that we read. And as they go back and go over them and read them, more and more they would become more and more precious to them. Father, forgive us of our sins. Help us to forgive those who sin against us. Father, lead us not into temptation. Keep us on the straight and the narrow path. Give us wisdom, guidance, and understanding. I love you, Father Yahweh. But I pray that those words, I love you, would not just be from my lips, but that I would mean them from my heart. I pray these things through your precious Son, Yeshua of Nazareth. Amen.